0: If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm 69. This is page 452 in the black Bibles. In the seats around you, if you're using one of those, the large, bold print 69 number is the chapter number, and then there'll be smaller verse numbers to help us find our place. So we'll look at Psalm 69 and all 36 verses today. Book two of the Psalms is almost over, so we will only be in the Psalms for a couple more weeks until we transition to a teaching series through the book of 1 Peter. So if any of you are growing weary of the Psalms, you'll get a break. But I hope and pray that we will not grow weary of the Psalms. They are rich, and Psalm 69 is no exception. Before I read the psalm, I'd like to tell you a story that I was reminded of. I believe I've told this story once before, but it's been a while, and more of you are new, and even if you weren't new and you've heard this, you've probably forgot. So here's the story it comes from Michael Card. Uh, Michael Card's a uh, present Christian musician, he's also a writer. He's well known for some of his deeply theological song lyrics. Back in the 90s he wrote an article and he tells a story in that article that I'm going to read for you and it's about an African man who was part of a tribal people known as the Maasai people and his name is just simply Joseph. And here's the way it's recorded in this article. One day Joseph was walking along a hot dirty African road and met someone on the road who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Immediately, the power of the Holy Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village and share the same good news with the members of his local tribe. So Joseph, going door to door, told everyone he could meet about the cross of Jesus Christ and the great salvation that it offered. He hoped and expected that their faces would light up just like his did. But to his astonishment, these villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized Joseph, held him to the ground, and the women beat him with barbed wire. He was dragged from the village, and he was left to die alone in a bush. Amazingly, Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a nearby waterhole, and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, he found the strength to get up. And so he started pondering about this hostile reception that he had received from these people that he had loved and known for his whole life. He decided that he must have left something out of the gospel. Or maybe he told the story of Jesus incorrectly. So he rehearsed the message that he had heard at first and then decided to go back and share his faith again. At this time, Joseph was limping back into these huts and he proclaimed the good news of jesus he died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the creator the living god he pleaded with them but again he was grabbed by the men of the village held while the women beat him the wounds that had just begun to heal reopened They dragged him out, unconscious, and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second, only a miracle. Days later, he woke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time, before he even opened his mouth, they attacked him. They flogged him for the third and what would probably be the last time as he spoke to them of Jesus Christ, his Lord. Well, like a good preacher does, I'm going to leave you hanging. And I'll tell you the end of the story after we read. And apply Psalm 69. Because the way the story ends. We'll wrap a beautiful. Christ centered. Bow. On this message. So. Psalm 69. Big idea. It's long. So from the outset. Let me give it to you. A passion for God. Will. Result in rejection. Ridicule and reproach a passion for God's justice will also result in restoration, redemption, and reverence. You will see in this psalm the first half of the psalm. As I read to it in just a second, I want you to just notice the first half is summarized with the first half of our big idea. A passion for God. Results in, for David's case, rejection, ridicule, and reproach. That's verses 1 all the way to 21. And then you will notice a turn where David starts to pray for vengeance, vindication, and justice. And his passion for justice ends in and results in restoration, redemption, and holy reverence all over the earth. Let's read the psalm together. To the choir master, according to lilies of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's son. For zeal, for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I'm the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart, so that I am in despair." I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Pause. That's the spot that I think we shift. And so far, you've heard David's zeal and passion for God, even though he has not done something specifically wrong to deserve it, He has been rejected, ridiculed, and reproached. That word appeared a lot, didn't it? Reproach, scorn, insulted. I think that sums up what we've just read in verse 1 to verse 21. Now, I'll read the rest. And remember, the second half of this big idea is that passion for justice, vindication for God to save him and punish his enemies, it will ultimately result in restoration, redemption, and holy reverence and praise to God. So, let's see that in verses 22 to 36. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they're at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and let them not be enrolled among the righteous." But I'm afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him the seas and everything that moves in them, for God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. And that concludes our reading of Psalm 69, which is God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Even those imprecations the part where he's praying down judgment yes even that should be received as good instruction and wisdom from God through his holy word I pray that it will change and transform our hearts so that when we're angry when we're abused when we're persecuted for our faith we will have instruction for how to turn to God in prayer A passion for God will result in rejection, ridicule, and reproach. But equally, a passion for God's justice will result in restoration, redemption, reverence. And I would like to unpack this big idea in three ways. First, David's passion. Jesus' passion. Our passion, Embassy Church. And here's how I would sum it up. David has a passion. It is zeal for God's house. He he wants to build God's house. That's one way to sum up David's driving, focus, passion for life. David's passion is to build God's house. Zeal for God's house. Do you see that in verse 9? Jesus' passion. Verse 9 was quoted in your John 2 reading. Were you paying attention when Ruby came up here and read for us John 2? John quotes Psalm 69.9 and shows us that Jesus' passion to cleanse God's house is a fulfillment of Psalm 69.9. David's passion. Jesus' passion. Embassy Church. Our passion Is not to build God's house. Our passion is not to cleanse God's house like Jesus did on the cross by dying, but rather because of Christ's cleansing blood. Be God's house. David wants to build. Jesus wants to cleanse. Embassy, we need to be the church of Jesus Christ and receive the cleansing power of the gospel. Let's work each of them in turn first, David. David's passion. I told you that the psalm could be summarized in that big idea, and therefore there's two halves. This psalm is long, it's it's complex. I think another way to summarize the psalm as it relates to David's passion, I would summarize it this way. Verses 1 to 21, David is praying for salvation because of the flood. Did you notice the flood imagery repeated? In verses 1 through 4 and then again he brings it up again and says deliver me in verse 14 from the sinking in the mire and let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. We know that he's talking metaphorically about a flood but the flood are people, enemies. So verses 1 to 21 is David is overwhelmed up to the neck. The imagery of the psalm so vivid isn't it? Have you all ever drowned before? This is a psalm about drowning and if you've ever experienced that feeling of like I am about to sink and die he's saying the water's up to my neck but that's just an image of the number of enemies that are after him. Do you see that in verse 3? I'm weary with crying out that my throat, and I love that the original Hebrew is actually burned. Have you all ever screamed so much that your throat was burning? That's the word parched. He's screaming, save, help, help. My eyes are so tired of waiting for God to save me. He has prayed and prayed and prayed. But yet, verse 4 says, more than even the hairs on my head are those people who hate me without cause. They are mighty and they want to destroy me and they do it with lies. It gets worse. If that wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. David reveals that the people that are his enemies are from his own household. Look at verse 7, for it is your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's son. My own brother, he's trying to destroy me. I have enemies in my family, in my people, in my country. I am surrounded by so many. It's more than the number of hairs on my head. Save me, God. I am overwhelmed. Man, why is it such a hard time for David? Oh, he must have done something wrong. He deserves this. You know, like Job's counselors. Job, you're deserving of this punishment because you were such a bad dude. David makes that clear to us. He says in verse 5, oh God, you know my my folly, my foolishness. I've certainly sinned. I'm not trying to say I've never done anything wrong. Those wrongs are not hidden from you. But notice the way that he says these enemies are doing this hatred in verse 4 without cause. There's no good reason for this. He is an innocent sufferer. Not innocent as in he's never sinned. He makes it clear he sinned. He's not perfect. Like all of you in this room, David has sinned but he's also suffered innocently, unjustly. I kept thinking about this idea of reproach and, again, the word scorn, abuse, ridicule, insulting. I was thinking about, you know, we just prayed for our young people. Kids, you may choose to follow Jesus. I hope you do. We're praying that you do. But you should realize that following Jesus does not mean everything is sweet sometimes you will be teased, insulted, made fun of for following Jesus, like David does. And there will be no good reason for it. It will be verbal abuse. There could be physical abuse. And For those reasons, we should understand that Psalm 69 is instruction for us to see that God's people, not just every once in a while, but oftentimes will be ridiculed, rejected, reproached for following Christ. Zeal for God's house. Notice that David has not just passion and zeal and is consumed, but look at verse 10. I'm weeping and I am humbled in my soul. I'm fasting and I am praying and that's the very reason that they're making fun of me. Did you see that kid? He prayed before he ate lunch at school. Ha! He prayed that's the idea it's being made fun of for praying specifically that's what verse 10 says i made sackcloth my clothing which was another way of fasting and he said for that reason i became a byword which is actually a proverb like they made a song and a saying about me it's like the whole school put it on tiktok and now everybody's making fun of you because you follow jesus I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, gate, which is the most popular, most powerful, most wealthy. And I have songs about me sung by drunkards. The worst kid in the school and the most popular best kid in school. Everybody's making fun of me for Jesus. I'm a loser amongst the losers. That's, That's me helping you see what David's saying. Adults, the same thing applies to us in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. If we're after popularity, fame, prestige, a good reputation to the whole world without any insults, don't sign up to follow the Lord God and have zeal for his house. That has repeatedly throughout history, Old and New Testament, not been the pathway to ease and comfort. David is flooded with enemies because of his faith, his passion for prayer, his commitment to God. That's verses 1 to 21. Secondly, notice that David prays, I'm overwhelmed, I would like you, God, to overwhelm them with your hot anger. The language here is just as intense, except it is now turned on them. As they set up a table, I'd like their table to become a snare. When they're at shalom, that's that word peace, in verse 22, I'd like their peace times to become a trap. I'd like their eyes to be darkened so they can't see. Their loins is the word for your midsection. I just kept thinking of like, you've got like a stomach ache, you've got horrible indigestion. He's like, I just want them to tremble and rumble and just have an upset stomach day after day after day, at least if you were to translate that quite literally. Oh God, pour out your indignation upon them. Let your burning anger overtake them. I want their camp to be desolate, wiped out, no one dwell in their tents. For they're persecuting the one that you've already struck down, which I believe is him saying, I've already been disciplined for my sin. I know I'm a sinner. I've already admitted that. And I have been disciplined and struck down for it. They're trying to add and heap on top of it. They recount the pain of those you have already wounded, verse 26 says. So I'm asking, they've done that to me. Add punishment upon punishment to them so that they would have no acquittal And this is probably the most sober line in the whole song. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and let them not be enrolled among the righteous. So many of you might just be wondering, what do we do with that? Do we really pray that, Pastor Phil? Is this okay? And I think we need to remember that first and foremost, you're not David and you're not the king who represents the entire nation of Israel. Secondly, this is not just about personal vengeance, and when it's applied in the New Testament, it is not about you getting vengeance for you to go then act out justice on your enemies. Notice that imprecatory imprecatory, cursing psalms and prayers like this are not, God, is it okay for me to do that? It's not what he's praying. He's saying, God, I want justice. So I turn to the God of justice for you to do what's right. Is that what you do when you're angry about somebody that has unjustly abused you, insulted you? Do you turn to God or do you want personal vendettas of getting back? It's the big difference between the way the imprecatory psalms instruct us, turning to God with my anger and saying, God, I know that you are well aware of this whole situation, so save deliver bring justice and in addition to that we should remember that the first time in the psalms we saw an imprecatory request in psalm 7 i believe was one of them where it said if they do not repent then do this and i think that's also at play god i want them to repent i'd rather them not do this but if they don't repent then i've got nothing else remember i'm up to my neck I've already been praying and crying out, maybe perhaps for for patience and for perseverance and for them to repent. But there is a time and a case where you're like, look, it doesn't seem like they're going to repent. So God, would you just bring down your righteous judgment? You do it, not me. This is in your hands. That's what David prays in verses 22 to 29. I'm overwhelmed. I want you to overwhelm them with your righteous anger. And then notice that the way The result of all of this in verse 30 to 36 is praise. Praise for God with a song. Magnify him with thanksgiving. I love, just as a little side note here, that this will please the Lord more than offering money, oxen, bulls with horns and hooves. Your most prized possession. I'm going to give that to God. You know what God would be more pleased with? The psalmist says, a song in your heart, praising the name of God with thanksgiving. And did you know that before you even get to the New Testament that the Old Testament repeatedly talks about how God wants your heart more than he wants your money? He wants a relationship with you. He wants you changed from the inside out. He doesn't just want external religious duty of obedience. Meditate deeply on verse 21. He will be more pleased with songs of thanksgiving than as much money as you can throw at the church. Do you believe that? I hope our elders do. We should. When the humble see this, they will be glad. This is verse 32. You who seek God, let your hearts revive, come back to life, For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people. And this results in eternal, universal praise. Let the heavens and earth praise him and the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion. He will rebuild and build up the cities of Judah and they will live and possess the land there and they will inherit it. All those who love his name. That's David's passion and zeal for God's house that results in rejection, ridicule, reproach, But notice that the way his confidence in God hearing his vindictive prayer of judgment results in praise. That's Psalm 69. But did you know that Psalm 69 is quoted again and again? And even the imprecatory parts, the cursing judgment parts, are used by New Testament authors. I'm not even going to give you all of them. Typically, in our church services, we do an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. I was like, we've just got so many uses in the New Testament of Psalm 69. We're doing two New Testament readings that quote Psalm 69. You're only going to get a bit of them today. You can keep studying Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 1 and 2 and Romans chapter 11. And those are two other places that we're not even discussed today that quote Psalm 69. So I would like us to just sample a few references and notice that the New Testament authors read this psalm about a man who has been ridiculed. He he shouldn't be ridiculed for this. He shouldn't be rejected. And that his prayers for judgment and salvation came in the person of Jesus. Jesus' passion to cleanse God's house. Let's start with John 2. As I mentioned, Ruby read for us, John 2, 13 to 17, about how Jesus drove out those who had defiled God's house and his temple, selling things to make money and profit. Verse 16 says, he told those who were selling pigeons in the temple, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of trade. When the disciples saw the passion that Jesus had for the purity of God's house being a house of prayer, they heard the way Jesus called the temple, my father's house. And they remembered the words of Psalm 69, 9. And then John 2, 17 says this, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. David's passion is just a shadow of the pure essence of Jesus' passion for God's pure house of worship on the world. In the world, there should be a place for the presence of God's people to worship freely and not be swindled by church leaders. That's what Jesus is seeing in front of him. Religious leaders taking advantage of poor widows, dropping in all they have in the bin before they go in the temple. People selling pigeons, overpriced pigeons, you know how like people mark up prices based on proximity? You get closer to the airport, gas prices are way higher because they know you got to return the rental car full. That but times that by 100, that's what's going on in the temple. And Jesus is sick of it. It makes him angry. He flips over tables, Righteous. Anger for the way that people are dishonoring God's house. Zeal has consumed him. And because of this, Jesus is hated. Fast forward now. It's no longer John 2. We're in John 15. Jewish leaders hate Jesus. They want him dead. Jewish leaders want Jesus dead. People from his own family, his own clan. It's not just outsiders like, Roman emperor and other governors. Jewish Israelite clansmen want to kill Jesus and this fulfills Psalm 69 and John 15 24 and 25 says just that. He says if I had not done the works that no one else did then they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen my works and they hated both me and my father. But now the word that is written in their law is fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And there is your quote from Psalm 69:4. They hated me without a cause. More than the number of hairs on my head are those who hate me without cause. Jesus' zeal to cleanse God's house led to contempt and ridicule and rejection and then ultimately his death. These actions of him disregarding their traditions and him cleaning up God's house are why he died on a cross. And when you fast forward in John's gospel, you go from John 2 to John 15 to John 19, you get Psalm 69 quoted again. On the cross, as Jesus' life is coming to a close, he fulfills Psalm 69, verse 21. Do you see in verse 21 where David says, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink? Well, in John 19, 28 to 30, Jesus is hanging on the cross and this is what it says, John 19, 28 to 30. After Jesus knowing that all was now finished to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The way John seems to be alluding to Psalm 69, I think you can disagree with me. But I think it settles the debate. Were they trying to help Jesus? by giving him a sponge, or were they mocking him by giving him that sponge? In Psalm 69, they are mocking David. They are giving him poison to eat, and they are giving him sour wine to drink. Could you imagine just being parched, so thirsty? Your throat is burned raw because of the screaming of the torture you've experienced, the utter humiliation of hanging naked on a cross, being disgraced, rejected by your own people for all you've done to just passionately pursue cleansing the righteous name of God in his house, and this is what they do to you. To top it all off, at the very end, before your very last breath, they mock you with drink, as he says he thirsts. If you know the story of the Bible, you know that it was precisely when Jesus said it is finished that he cleansed God's house by the effective power of his innocent blood. Brothers and sisters of embassy, be encouraged by the passion of Jesus that led him to give up his life because Jesus's passion to die on a cross so that you could be forgiven, so that our hearts could be cleansed, is the very motivation that should lead us as a church. Our passion to be his house. David's passion in Psalm 69 was just a foreshadow of Jesus Christ as the true David who would cleanse and build the temple on earth which is his church so embassy we should conclude with what should our passion be for God's house we should be it we should be the house of God and we should do it by taking instruction from Romans 15 that Julie read for us earlier that quotes Psalm 69 and apply the gospel to the way we love one another. Isn't this incredible? David talks about his personal sufferings. Jesus fulfills those sufferings and he gets quoted three times just in John's gospel to show how he fulfills Psalm 69 in various ways. And then, when you get to Romans chapter 15, after talking for a chapter about how Jews and Gentiles argue with one another, how there's division amongst their food laws and whether or not we should eat meat sacrificed to idols and how some people have a tender conscience and some of them are weaker on a certain matter and some are stronger on a certain matter and that bringing those people together inside the church is messy, that's the context of quoting Psalm 69. I'm dumbfounded by the usage of Psalm 69. I hope you're starting to join me in this amazement of how rich this psalm can be for not only saving your soul, but being the motivation for our passion to love and welcome one another in the church. So when you go to Romans chapter 15, and if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to do so because these are your instructions for how to apply Psalm 69 in a very practical way. Romans chapter 15, it's page 893 in those black Bibles, it was read for us early in the service. Brothers and sisters, Embassy Church, we should passionately obey and apply the scripture in this paragraph. If you're strong, and here strong means that you're able to choose based on your conscience, I could be around some people that have been vaccinated and it's fine. I could be around some other people that have not been vaccinated and I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And I could be around some people that have alcohol in a gathering and I'm, I'm not like tripping up over it. And then I could be around some people that don't drink alcohol. I could go either way. That's the stronger brother in this context. Issues of food, issues of dietary laws, of practices, of society that Christians sometimes disagree upon. And in those kind of settings, where somebody has a certain foreign policy that they really think that the government should pass, and they're they're really worked up about it, this would be somebody that's a weaker brother. They're all caught up about something that shouldn't divide the church. And the stronger brother should try and help that weaker person along and not demand certain things from them. You have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, verse 1 says. Don't think this is all about you and your comfort and your pleasure. Don't live to please yourself, Romans 15.1 says. Do you see that the way for us to exist as a church and be the church, that Jesus died on the cross to cleanse and purify God's house, bought with his precious blood so that you could be like Jesus and not live for yourself? Verse 2, Romans 15. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And here's where he uses Psalm 69. Consider Jesus Christ. He didn't live to please himself, but as it is written, Psalm 69, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in those former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God of encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Do you know what's sometimes really hard? Being in a room of people. Being in a room of people where they strongly disagree with something that you're doing. And the Bible says that if it's not a strong disagreement about the blood of Christ on the cross and the gospel, we should welcome one another. And you should not think that everybody needs to agree with you. And if you can see that, you're a stronger brother. And you should be patient and forbearing and even suffer the difficulties of that awkwardness and still spend time with those brothers and sisters in this church embassy. I'm not talking about things out there in the workplace. I'm not talking about non-Christians. I'm talking about insults or ridicules or scorn that you might face from the person sitting next to you when you share a little bit too much and they find out and they give you some weird sideways look. Oh, you think that? Welcome one another even in those situations passion to be God's church by applying Jesus' passion for the cleansing power of his blood is what we should aim for. Realize the way that Psalm 69 is used, points forward to Jesus, is fulfilled by Jesus, and is lived out by his church. So, embassy, will we live for ourselves to gratify the lusts We have for being right? Or how about revenge? Or will we be like Jesus, who did not live to please himself, but the reproaches of those who reproached you, God, fell on me, and he forgave and forbore? This is not because Jesus believed in the absence of punishment or wrath or just forgiving and moving on. It is because precisely the second half of our psalm because judgment does come you can take confidence that even when you're abused and suffering for something that you should not suffer for you can have hope that punishment and judgment will come and has come and will continue to come but it is not our business to execute that judgment we turn to the god who is righteous and just but realize that the fact that he has done it is the very power you have to live in the sort of way that Romans 15 is telling us to. Or as he says in Romans 12, brothers, beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, then feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Could you imagine If somebody, even in this church, like hurt your feelings, insulted you in a certain way, even even just a look, and you didn't say, I'm going to just leave this church. I'm going to welcome them like Jesus welcomed me, and I will pray that they repent of their sin, that they will be disciplined for the way that they're acting very rudely i will ask that god will take care of that in his way and then you treat them with love and kindness and grace and see if that does not burn on their heads judgment or forgiveness i don't think it's a one or the other i think the burning coals imagery is that either it burns them like oh my that's amazing the power of grace and love that it transforms the heart or it heaps on them even greater judgment because you did not repay evil for evil. You loved, you forgave, you persevered, and they will give an account for treating you that way. What if you really believed that and lived like that? Well, our buddy in Africa, Joseph, did. Here's how the story ends. Burning coals on display of Christ-like sacrificial love. Michael Card writes, before Joseph passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him stopped and began weeping. This time, Joseph did not awake out in the wilderness, but in his very own bed. All of the people that were severely beating him, were now trying to save his life and were nursing him back to health. In the end, the entire village came to faith in Christ. That's what I believe. The power of giving to God, vengeance is mine. Thus saith the Lord, I will repay. Burning coals will either change and transform a heart or it will heap on judgment upon judgment, just like our psalm says. And the God who is just will bring that judgment. Brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, let's passionately pursue welcoming and loving one another as Christ has loved and welcomed sinners like us. If you're here today and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, realize that the more you hear the appeal that God so loves you that he sent his son Jesus into the world to save you from your sins, to bring the just punishment of your sins to an end, to take on the suffering that you and I rightly deserve, he innocently suffered in your place. Receive him like David pleads for justice we plead for you to receive his mercy because if not justice will come so repent before it's too late make haste to get right with god and put your faith in him let's close in a word of prayer our heavenly father we're thankful for this opportunity to study your word and to be reminded of your great love and passion for us displayed in the lord jesus christ We're thankful that we do not have to choose between being a people of mercy and being a people who righteously care about matters of justice. And we pray that you will make us strong, not wimpy. We would persevere, be willing to suffer, that we would display the powerful love of Jesus. Oh God, give us zeal and passion for your house for the brothers and sisters around us in this room. And may we display to the world a different kind of community that even when we don't get along outside of the church, at least we shouldn't get along, we can get along because of Christ, where we can unite together with one voice and glorify your name because what really matters is the cross and what you're doing in and through the power of the cross. As we give our time now, To meditate on these truths, I pray you would move through our hearts and apply these truths in Jesus' name. Amen.